0: All right. My last snacks. Thanks for bearing with me. Hopefully this one will be fast. It's on postpartum. All right. So question number one, name the stages and approximate postpartum timeframes of normal lochia. So, um, in general, the average length of lochia is 21 days, but it can range anywhere from 10 days to six weeks. Um, the first one is lochia rubria rubra, which is blood residual fetal cells and decidua. Um, It represents the placental site as an open wound, red blood for the first few days, um, reddish-brown until days three and four. And just a heads up, you may see a transient increase um, around one week to two weeks when the scar over the placental site sloughs, um, more brownish-looking. And then the next step in lochia is serosa, which contains blood, wound exudates, leukocytes, and decidua. This happens around days five to nine, but it can last up to six weeks. And this is mucopurulent, somewhat malodorous And then lochia alba is the last phase. Um, This consists of leukocytes, decidual cells, mucus, bacteria, and epithelial cells, yellow, white in color around day 10 to 28. And it varies in length, but the average is 21 days. All right. Question number two, what is the recommended postpartum follow-up plan for a woman diagnosed with gestational diabetes? She needs a 75 hour, um, 75 gram, which is a two hour GTT at her six week postpartum visit. So, this would indicate diabetes if her fasting was greater than 126 or if her two-hour value was greater than 200. Um, impaired glucose if the fasting is between 100 and 125 or if her two-hour is between 140 and 199. Um, and then a hemoglobin A1C of 5.7 to 6.4 indicates pre-diabetes. Um, lifestyle counseling. Um, breastfeeding improves glucose regulation, decreases fasting and post-perennial blood sugar levels, Daily exercise can reduce risk of diabetes later in life, and the goal is for normal BMI between pregnancies. Um, Contraception options for these patients are IEDs, progestin only, um, barrier methods preferable, and low-dose COCs if vascular disease is present. All right. Number three. For which maternal clinical conditions is breastfeeding contraindicated in the United States? What about in third-world countries? All right. So, um, maternal HIV, um, in developed countries, I mean, we just have, we have formula. There's no reason to give a baby breast milk from an HIV positive mom. Um, but in underdeveloped countries, then that is sometimes preferred. Galactosemia, which is a metabolic disorder in the infant. Um, some maternal medications. If the mom has active herpes lesions on her breast or if she um, is, um, has a history of drug abuse, but that's case dependent on the patient. All right, so let's talk about question number four. Describe the normal postpartum psychological adaptation and role transition for women and their partners. All right. So postpartum blues, let's talk about that first. This is extremely common, 70% to, to 80% of women. Um, it usually g- comes on around day two to four. Um, it lasts about two to three days, but usually resolves within 10 days. Um, the symptoms are rapid, but mild mood swings, irritability, tearfulness, anxiety, and insomnia, and the treatment can just be supportive, self-limited. They usually feel better, you know, once they get some sleep. Um, postpartum depression is common in 8 to 20% of women. Um, its onset is within 12 months postpartum. Um, and the duration is 3 to 14 months. Um, this is more extreme disturbances and appetites and sleep and libido, intense anxiety, fatigue, and or feelings of guilt. And this interferes with activities of daily living. Um, and the treatment for that is antidepressants and therapy. Um, postpartum psychosis is rare, 0.1 to 0.2% of women. The onset is variable. It can happen as early as two to three days postpartum and the duration is variable. These are severe symptoms, including delusions and hallucinations. And this is an emergency. These women need antipsychotics and antidepressants and hospitalization. All right. Number five, describe the anatomy and physiology of lactation specifically in terms of the supply and demand phenomenon of milk production. All right, so let's talk about the different stages. First of all, we have mammogenesis, which is the development of breasts to a functional state. This happens, begins at puberty and lasts all the way up through pregnancy. Um, The hormones that influence mammogenesis are estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, and growth hormone. Um, External structures include areolar pigmentation, enlarged Montgomery tubercles, skin appears thinner, vessels more prominent, also more blood flow to the mammary tissue, and then the internal structures are larger and more tender, Um, the ductal system proliferates, wider and more pliable, the lobules increase in size, and the epithelium transforms into secretory cells. Um, Step two is lactogenesis. And this includes synthesis and secretion of milk from the breast. The hormones that influence this are prolactin. Um, prolactin stimulates milk production from the lactocytes. It's made in the anterior, anterior pituitary gland. It is stimulated by neonatal sucking. And it also has a certain circadian, circadian rhythm to it. Um, and it suppresses ovulation. Oxytocin is um, another hormone. Contraction of smooth muscles surrounding alveoli. Um, let down reflex this is produced in the posterior pituitary gland it is also stimulated by neonatal sucking and it causes the uterus to contract as well Um, other other hormones are cortisol insulin and thyroid hormones Um, prolactin inhibiting factor is produced by the hypothalamus Um, as the milk builds up it puts pressure on the lumen and the signal is sent to the hypothalamus to produce prolactin inhibiting factor hey we don't need any more milk down here um, prolactin inhibiting factors signals to the anterior pituitary to pituitary stop producing prolactin. If the milk is not expressed, it will slowly be reabsorbed. Supply and demand will cause decreased production. Um, if milk is drained, then prolactin production resumes. So the third stage is lactogenesis, which occurs, lactogenesis 1, which occurs li- mid to late pregnancy. This is um, differentiation of alveolar cells into secretory cells, prolactin influence limited by high amounts of estrogen and progesterone, mostly priming the cells to get ready for milk production, and colostrum can begin as early as 16 weeks. Um, Lactogenesis 2 happens postpartum. It's a decrease in the levels of progesterone and estrogen. Um, That means that the prolactin is able to prevail. Um, oxytocin is present in a pulsatile release pattern. And then galactopoiesis is like the Genesis three. And that's when you switch to the supply and demand principle, um, switches from endocrine, like it's hormone to autocrine control. Um, autocrine control relies more on the baby's feeding as it feeds more, more is produced. The suckling signal sends to the pituitary gland to produce prolactin, which then stimulates milk production at the time of the feeding. All right. So that's breastfeeding. Number six, what are the signs and system, symptoms of postpartum wound infection, both per, perineal and abdominal wounds? Interesting. Sorry, I got a pretty graph here. Okay, let's talk about wound infections, C-section or perineal. Um, risk factors include lifestyle, poor hygiene, cigarettes, um, and then fourth degree Um, Coagulation, HPV, prolonged rupture membranes, poor technique Um, Signs and symptoms are pain instead of fever Um, Erythemia, more than slight, like a lot of swelling Um, Induration, should not be far from the site Tenderness, appropriate to post-op day, should be able to touch with mild tenderness And exudate is a late sign Um, Treatment, consider a CBC, culture Um, Antibiotics, IV or oral, depends on severity Location, inpatient status, antibiotic choice may need drainage or debridement, and consult if the infection is suspected to be large. Um, She may need an ultrasound, CT, or MRI. Okay, endometritis. Um, So risk factors are a cesarean birth, manual removal of the placenta, retained products of conception, lacerations of vagina, cervix, um, choreo, prolonged rupture of membranes, preterm birth, internal monitors or instrumental birth, and other risk factors include anemia, poor nutrition and hygiene, diabetes, lower socioeconomic status, young, and stressed. Um, signs and symptoms. A fever greater than 100.4 degrees on more than two occasions in the first 10 days. Um, so just general infection signs. The big one is a soft, tender uterus, cramping, um, sub-involution, which means the uterus isn't, getting, isn't going down as quickly as you would expect it to. Um, slight abdominal extension, and pelvic pain with a bimanual exam. Treatment for this would be a CBC. You would expect to see leukocytosis with bands. Um, consult with your collaborating MD. Um, this patient might need broad-spectrum antibiotics, oral or IV. Um, and They should be a within 48 to 72 hours after starting antibiotics. Um, and then she also has in here urinary tract infections. Um, Risk for that include a catheter use during labor, birth trauma or urinary stasis, with a urethral swelling or poor bladder tone. Um, signs would be dysuria and um, cervical um, CVA tenderness, and then you would wanna do your analysis on this patient and treat them appropriately. And then mastitis, um, these usually presents with flu-like symptoms in a red tender area in the breast. Um, the treatment for this is to keep breastfeeding. Um, dicloxacillin for 10 days. They usually respond to doc- dicloxacillin pretty quickly within 24 to 48 hours. They probably need Tylenol, NSAIDs, and if it abscesses, they will probably need surgery. So keep an eye on these patients. All right, question number seven. Discuss risk factors for postpartum hemorrhage and the emergency management steps for immediate postpartum hemorrhage. I feel like we really talked about this a lot in intrapartum, but whatever, we'll go over it again. All right, risk factors. Um, Low risk, singleton pregnancy, no previous uterine surgeries. Less than four previous vaginal births, no bleeding disorders, no history of postpartum hemorrhage. Medium risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Prior C-section or uterine surgery, multiple gestations, greater than four vaginal birth, choreo, history of postpartum hemorrhage, large uterine fibroids, or suspected macrosomia. And then at high risk for postpartum hemorrhage. Placenta previa, low-lying placenta, suspected placenta accreta or percreta, hematocrit less than 30, platelets less than 1,000, active bleeding, or known coagulopathy. And then other risks that aren't really classified as far as low, medium, or high um, include prolonged second stage, prolonged oxytocin use, usually 24 hours or greater, and then MAG. Um, so the management, wary no, oxytocin, 20 to 40 units, in a liter of normal saline. Um, never give undiluted as a bolus injection. Side effects of pitocin include cramping and water intoxication. Um, next, you have Cytotec 800 micrograms uh, rectally. You can also give it buccally. Um, this cause, can cause diarrhea, abdominal pain, and a fever. Uh, Methergine 0.2 milligrams IM. You can repeat it in five minutes, and then after that, every two to four hours. Um, don't give it to people who have hypertension. It can cause cramping, nausea, and vomiting. Hypertension, um, seizures, and/or headache. Hemabate. milligrams IM, may repeat every 15 to 90 minutes, up to eight doses. Um, Do not give to patients with asthma or active cardiac, pulmonary, renal, or hepatic disease. Um, It will cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and also may cause a fever. And then tranexamic acid is one gram IV over 10 minutes. Um, You can repeat it in 30 minutes times one dose. Using caution with patients who have renal impairment or other clotting factors, and it can cause thrombosis and visual defects. Did not know that. Cool. All right. Number eight, what is the recommended postpartum management and follow-up for women whose pregnancies were affected by preeclampsia or gestational hypertension? All right. So for the immediate postpartum period, um, vital signs every two hours while on MAG. You're going to keep the mag on for 24 hours. Repeat the lab work daily until two consecutive sets of data are normal or trending to normal. And then NSAIDs are preferred over opioids if possible. Um, when you discharge them, antihypertensive until the blood pressure is normal. You can do this with law, hydralazine, or procardia. Monitor blood pressure at home for the first three days. And then have them follow up in the clinic within three to seven days um, if blood pressure meds are needed. If they don't need blood pressure meds, have them come back in a week to two weeks. right, question number nine. Discuss the management of delayed slash late postpartum hemorrhage. What are the most common contributing factors? Okay, so the definition of that is significant uterine bleeding between 24 hours after delivery and up to 12 weeks postpartum. It can be caused by retained products of conception, sub-involution of the placental bed, and infection. Other causes could be bleeding disorders, pseudoaneurysm of uterine artery, choriocarcinoma, etc., um, and then they're also at risk for it if they have a previous history of primary or delayed postpartum hemorrhage. So, um, signs and symptoms are excessive bleeding, bleeding, pelvic pain, fever, uterine tennis, or tachycardia. You want to get a good history in these patients. Um, you want to get an obstetric history, which includes history of postpartum um, hemorrhage, preterm delivery, multiple gestation, retained placenta, route of deliveries, um, retained products and concessions versus endometritis, vascular abnormalities, etc., um, you want to figure out if they have a history of any bleeding disorders, um, current medication use, including NSAIDs, anticoagulants, uterine relaxants, glucocorticoids, antibiotics, SSRIs, alcohol, vitamin E, garlic, and ginkgo. And then a pelvic exam would help establish that bleeding is uterine. And you want to also assess for fundal height and malodorous discharge. Labs, you're looking for at a CBC, a PT, PTT, and fibrinogen, and HCG. And then it may also be useful to do an ultrasound. All right, so management of this, um, you're going to consult with an MD. Um, If they are hemodynamically unstable, uterine compression and bimanual, um, stabilize with fluids, um, blood transfusion, consider a balloon tamponade. If they have retained products of conception, they're going to need a DNC. If it's caused by sub-involution of the placental site, they're going to need uterotonics such as methogen, hemabate, and oxytocin. Um, If it's caused because they have endometritis, you're going to treat the endometritis with antibiotics. All right, question number 10. Describe the nutritional content of breast milk from colostrum through mature milk. All right, so colostrum happens between days 0 and 3. It's watery yellow to creamy yellow, thick and sticky. Um, usually, you'll get about an ounce of it within 20, uh, at the first 24 hours. Um, it is high in antibodies, protein, and nutrients, and it's low in water, fat, and sugar. Um, it has a laxative effect on babies. And um, if you are trying to get colostrum out, it's better to hand express than to pump. So the transitional milk occurs a- around days three to seven. Um, dramatic volume increase. It's triggered by the placental expulsion. It's thinner, creamy, yellow and or white looking. Um, the water can, content begins to increase, and lactose molecules are added. Um, the breast can may become engorged during this time. Um, for engorgement, you can do ice diapers and make sure they're emptying the best breast every three hours. So mature milk um, comes in around two weeks and continues until you wean the baby. Um, it just it can change. You know, variety of co- appearance, uh, colors, um, really depends on kind of what you're eating. Um, usually four milk is kind of watery looking and high milk is more opaque and yellow. Um, there's volume increase to accommodate the energy needs of the infant. It um, has a lot more fat and sugar in it and not as much protein in immunoglobins. immunoglobulins. Um, four milk is a little bit higher in protein. And then high milk is fat rich to keep the baby satisfied for longer. Um, during storage... Mature milk will separate into fat and weight and weigh portion um, four milk is more watery to quench the thirst, and then high milk is made in the moment, so it takes a moment to synthesize and express and it is what keeps the baby fuller for longer and then there's this cute little chart in here about how um how big is a newborn stomach on day one it's only the size of a cherry, so that's five to seven milliliters um which is only a teaspoon that's fascinating. Um, Day two is the size of a walnut, so it can hold um, 22 to 27 mLs. At one week old, it's the size of an apricot, so 45 to 60 mLs. And then at one month, it's the size of a large egg, so 80 to 150 mLs. All right. What are the signs, symptoms of uterine subinvolution? How is this clinic scenario usually managed? I feel like they have a lot of questions about hemorrhage here. Okay. Normal involution, usually right after delivery, the um, fundus is at the umbilicus and it decreases one finger breadth per day. Um, around days 10 to 12 postpartum, you can't feel it anymore. And then around two weeks, it should be back in the pelvic cavity. Um, and at four to six weeks, it should be pre pregnancy size. Um, causes of subinvolution retain products of conception, subinvolution of placental bed or infection. Um, Signs are excessive vaginal bleeding, um, most common one to two weeks postpartum, and pelvic pain, fever, uterine tenderness may also be present. And then there's a graph in here that talks about hemorrhage and stuff, but I don't know. I don't really think, I feel like we've went over that enough, and hopefully at that point we'll be referring anyway. All right, number 12, what is the diagnostic criteria for postpartum depression? What about postpartum psychosis? All right, let's talk about postpartum depression. Five or more of the following symptoms for at least two consecutive weeks depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure, insomnia or hypersomnia, change in weight or appetite, psychomotor retardation or agitation, fatigue. Decreased ability to concentrate, thoughts of worthlessness or guilt, or recurrent thoughts of death or suicide. And the treatment for that is antidepressants and psychotherapy. Um, Postpartum psychosis is similar to organic brain syndrome. It can cause confusion, attention deficit, distractibility, clouded sensory delusions, and hallucinations. Treatment for that is antipsychotics and antidepressants. All right, question 13. How does mastitis present and what is the recommended care plan, including antimicrobial therapy? I feel like we already talked about this too, but okay. Um, signs and se- signs, symptoms, infection and inflammation, flu-like symptoms, redness, tenderness in breast, um, and fever sometimes. Sources disagree on that. Management, supportive and less severe, um, Tylenol, NSAIDs, and hand washing, antibiotics, doc- doclacillin, um, PO, 500 milligrams, four times a day for 10 to 14 days, should respond in 24 to 48 hours. Culture, only if only needed if repeat infection and make sure they keep breastfeeding. 3% of women with mastitis will develop an abscess. Um, so if, if they get an abscess, you want to do an ultrasound. To look at it and check and see if there's a fluctuant mass, needs surgical intervention, antibiotics, and can breastfeed immediately after surgery. Alright, question number 14. Discuss the clinical evaluation and management of postpartum fever. What are the most likely diagnoses and common differentials? Alright, so if they have a fever greater than 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius... Um, mild transient temperature elevation is common in the first 24 hours. Low gray fever is associated with milk coming in. Um, but it could also be a sign of infection. Endometritis is a uterine infection. Um, a wound infection, um, from a C-section, perineal, pelvic cellulitis, mastitis, urinary tract infection, um, cholecystitis, appendicitis, viral respiratory. So if you suspect that they have endometritis, um, they might have a fever, tender uterus, subinvolution, abdominal extension, tachycardia, odorous lochia, and leukocytosis, um, which would be a white blood cell count of 15 to 30. Risk factors are, number one, that they've had a C-section, uh, manual removal, retained products, lacerations, chorioprom, prolonged labor, operative vaginal delivery, GBS positive, anemia, diabetes, and poor nutrition. The management of this is you're going to consult CBC, antibiotics, IV. Improvement usually seen in 48 to 72 hours. Um, the antibiotics usually given are AMP and GENT. Um, no, CLINDA and GENT. CLINDA, 900 milligrams Q8 hours, plus gentamicin 5 milligrams per kilogram Q24. Um, and you might also add AMP if they're GBS positive. Um, wound infections, pain instead of fever possible erythemia, induration, tenderness, exudate is a late sign, risk factors are fourth degrees, smoking, HPV, coagulation disorder, poor suturing techniques, and PROM, management would be a CBC, a culture, CT, MRI, consult, drainage, and debridement, supportive treatments, hand washing, warm soaks, hydration, rest, urinary urinary tract infection, you may have CVA tenderness, Um, dysuria, dysuria can also be related to lacerations, Risk factors for UTI include catheters, birth trauma near urethra, urinary stasis related to urethral swelling, decreased bladder tone, finding time, effort to void. Okay, that's enough of that, I think. All right, that was quick, postpartum, and we're done with the snacks. I'm going to see if I can uh, find some other fun stuff to do. Thanks. Thanks.